statistical, so unpredictable, here on SNL Stats. Yes, that is right. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another very special week of SNL Stats covering some Brooklyn Nine-Nine. My name is John Schneider. I'm so excited to be live on YouTube at about 9-9-15 to discuss everything we've seen from episodes three and four of this last season of Brooklyn Nine-Nine. We have a great panel here to talk through it, and we are going to go to town on each other. So introducing our panel here with us tonight. First up is Nicole Rovine. Nicole, how are you? I'm great. I mean, I'm a little taken aback. You were really quick with that reference. Um, you really went full boil very quickly tonight. Um, I think uh, under a minute in, so good work. Um, creeped out, but in a good way, I guess. In a, of in course, a, of course. An appropriate yeah, I mean, at way. Least, at least I'm not eating any ass cheese. That's what's important. Right, exactly. Uh, right. But I'm <laughs> so, great. I'm excited. I'm excited. I have a lot of thoughts tonight, and I, I love all everybody here. I like. I love talking to all of you, so I'm excited to hear what everyone has to say. Yeah, this is going to be a lot of fun. I'm really excited for this panel. Joining us also all the way from the West Coast is Rebecca North. Rebecca, how are you? I'm good. How are you guys? This was a good dinner time uh, talk and watching Brooklyn Nine-Nine early this week. So I really enjoyed that. Yes, yeah, for sure. I'm excited to get into everything from these two episodes and joining us already. I, I feel it. He has so many takes and, uh, and he's just already laughing, ready to go. It's TJ Randolph. TJ, how are you? Uh, I'm feeling fantastic. I'm really excited to talk about my band, Digital Phallus Portrait. Uh, it was my band back in college, um, and uh, just feel really good. I, like like Rebecca, I feel like I just like I've gone to therapy, and I just feel like really good. You know. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, all right, well, let's, let's get let's get into these episodes. We are live on YouTube right now, so we'll see if people are coming in and out. Uh, we do have a chat going, so if you guys have any comments or questions for us in the chat, feel free to put it there. We'll make sure to bring those up and discuss those as we go through everything over the next hour from episodes three and four. Uh, before we get into episodes three and four, I'd love to hear the panel's thoughts on Brooklyn Nine Nine, uh, you know, as like a whole and and what they're thinking about going into season eight and what they've seen so far. So, uh, Nicole, start with you. What are your thoughts on Brooklyn Nine-Nine from what you've seen so far and as a show? Yeah, I mean, I I have always loved the show. I watched it kind of here and there in its early days. And then um, it really, during the pandemic, was when I, like, fully binged it. Like, I'd always been aware of it. I've always been a huge Andy Samberg fan. But the pandemic, it was just the best comfort food. Like, when I say pandemic, like, really early stage pandemic. Um, and then, you know, fast forward a few months and... Um, a lot of the, the kind of racial reckonings and conversations we were having kind of made it a little bit less of a, of a comfort escapist kind of place for me than it was in the, you know, March, April. I was like, oh, there's a lot here actually that I want to think a little bit more critically about than the ways I had been before. Um, so I kind of discovered it right before I started, like I, I full wholeheartedly discovered it like right before I really had a kind of new opinion on it and, and all that stuff. Um, but I, I'm impressed. I think they had a really hard task this, you know, see for season eight. And, um, I, I think that they're, they're, they're putting in the good work and, um, having important conversations. And I know as a viewer, I think their job is to provide that balance of escapism and comfort, but also highlighting things that are like, you know, maybe people haven't been as aware of with these shows before. And so, I, I mean, I kudos to to the show. I don't know. It's it's a little more com complicated and nuanced, um, and I like that. I welcome it for sure. 
Yeah, for sure. And look, uh, it's it's really fun to get to have these conversations, whether they're super funny or very difficult. It you know that's that's fun to do. So let's talk through everything that we saw, you know, from this week and also from last week as well. Uh, Rebecca, what are your thoughts on Brooklyn Nine Nine as a show and what you're seeing so far? So I've been watching Brooklyn Nine Nine since the premiere date. I saw Andy Samberg's name on the show and I just put it on immediately. And I'm like a diehard Brooklyn Nine Nine fan. Like I've rewatched it. I don't even know how many times everyone I know that, oh, like, what should we put on Brooklyn Nine-Nine? So I was really excited to looking forward to this last season. And then what Nicole was saying, with everything going on in the world, I was actually really curious if, since it's also a short season, if they were just going to wrap up all the storylines or if they were actually going to focus on the issues in the media and especially all the stuff with police and all of that. And I was just really curious which um, stance they were going to take on all of that, if they were going to mention it or they were just going to have a final season. And I'm really happy that they are. They're addressing it all. And even it's a funny show and you don't expect them to get so serious. But I think Rosa throughout this entire time has been a really good character for us just throughout the whole show with just talking about what's relevant and the topics that you wouldn't necessarily expect a sitcom to talk about like this. So I'm really happy with the way that they've been doing things so far. For sure. TJ, over to you. Let me get your thoughts overall on Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Um, just like Rebecca, I've been watching uh, the show since it aired. I- I'm pretty sure in the first couple of years, I-, I did watch it live, but I always watch it next day on Hulu now. And I've been a big fan. Uh, the 2010s is definitely by SNL era, as it might be a lot of the younger fans. And so... Um, <laughs> the Lonely Islands, Turtleneck and Chain is one of the first albums I ever bought. Um <laughs> Um, and so like when I saw Andy Sandberg, I was like, yeah, I'm so you, you don't need to, t- you literally need to tell me nothing. Like, sure. Yeah, that's fine. Um, and I've, uh, in- I've watched every episode multiple times. I've even done times where I go back and watch the Halloween heists or the Pontiac Bandit episodes. And it's really fun as the show has gone on for years to sometimes isolate those episodes and you can have your own like little mini marathon of uh the Pontiac Bandit showing up. And gosh, I hope he shows up this season. He, he has to. Like it it would feel it, it wouldn't feel right if he didn't. Um but the show is is definitely I think somebody mentioned it last week, one of those last great like sitcoms, one of those last great um it's one of those like your modern family or your parks and rec. It's one of those good comfort sitcoms. Like you can watch it you can turn off like a little bit and every now and then they'll sprinkle something in there. But if you're also somebody who mostly agrees with a lot of the stuff they have in there, you can really just have a lot of fun with the jokes. And given how I personally feel about police, um, I'm glad I've been able to, been able to enjoy the show completely like unfiltered about stuff. I've always wondered if they were going to touch on certain things, but it's never been a thing I've needed to ask the show to do because it was always such a fun niche show. And to be honest, it's, one of the few ways that I could ever feel comfortable about like an officer that I don't know personally. And it's a TV show. So I don't know what that tells you. Um, but it's also, it's just really, Oh, we can't curse. It's really gosh, darn funny. Uh, it gives me all the yucks, um, and desk rattlings. Um, it's great. I love it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, look, it seems like we're all enjoying it. Um, you know, you know whether you loved episodes three and four, we're going to get into all of that tonight. Uh, does anyone have any like overall things? And I'll just throw it out and feel free to speak. Uh, do you, is there anything overall that you've seen in this first four episodes that you wish they would be doing differently? Uh, I know for me, I'll just say that 
you know, we, we spoke about the Pontiac Bandit. Uh, there's different things, like different uh, cameos that I was expecting to come in. We spoke about this a little bit in week one, and we're four episodes in, so six episodes to go. I still feel like we're missing a little bit of this, like, final season hype that maybe I was hoping to get. Um, does anyone else, you know, want to talk about that or anything that they are missing from uh, the season so far? Yeah, um, I think there is one thing in my brain just did this immediately, but I, I, this is the first time I've thought about it, which is this is another Mike Schur show. And I know he has a, a couple. I think he's doing Rutherford Falls or something. But like this is kind of like the last stand of like his grace up because the good place in Parks and Rec is kind of like over right now. And so my brain wants to go a little bit with like, I wonder if this would be like how they closed up Parks and Rec, which I think is has one of the perfect final seasons of television like that's out there. But there's still plenty of time. And I think they started so strong uh, with lots of tea um, in that first episode. I may not be using tea correctly, but I don't care. Um, And so as long as they make me laugh and I get maybe a heist and a Pontiac bandit, I think I'm okay. Like, I feel like those are the necessary things I need is a heist, a Pontiac bandit, and to make me laugh. And they've already made me laugh. So they got six more episodes for Craig Robinson to show up in, I'm actually controversial. This might be controversial. I'm okay if I don't get a Gina cameo. I love Chelsea Peretti. She's great. I said it, Nicole. I said it. <laughs> I don't like uh, that. I don't <laughs> I like that at it. all. Um, I'm We're okay gonna if she does We're going to have some problems. We're going to have some problems. Every podcast with you. Good God. Oh. I know. Wow. <laughs> um, I, I didn't see the side of you. I, I feel really blindsided and confused. Um, I don't know all, who you are anymore, but okay, I'll listen. Stop, I'll listen. If, if you could stop being attacked for a second. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I forgot my point. Um, no, I was like, I love Chelsea Pretty just like any other person. She's amazing to the show. She's not integral to it because we've had three seasons without it. It's not like The Office where if you lose the star, the show turns eh, and you get James Spader. This show has had three great seasons. And Chelsea Pretty is awesome, but. I'm okay if I don't see her again. Like it's, it's like what you said about really. Like, like uh, they could keep it as what it is. Like, uh, like it, oh, it's okay. Oh, no, we're not doing this. <laughs> <laughs> A lot of Nicole's takes, yeah. I have not texted her about, and I've had some thoughts for the past couple of months. All right, let's keep it, keep it a Brooklyn Nine Nine. Uh, Nicole, uh, give us the other uh, the counterpoint to that. Yeah. Oh my gosh, we need Gina. Like it's it's it to me. Gina is in the same realm as let's like heist Pontiac bandit and Gina. Like, I don't think any one of those is more important than any other. I guess Pontiac bandit, just because it's a one time, every single season thing, like fair, I guess so. But I don't know. I don't think we're looking at what's important in terms of what can produce a successful season. You know, we've had three seasons and we haven't really needed her, you know, to, to keep the show going or to, to propel plot lines or anything. But I think the show, and so they, you guys were talking about it last week. I think Bill said, um, actually, maybe it was all of you kind of were talking about it. It's a really interesting point that the show, more than any other show, like can do, can have these like long running jokes, you know, like you just know every season this happens or every season, you know, like title of my sex tape, all these different things going on. And that doesn't really exist anymore because we don't have the value of something long running. We just, you know, binge things in one night or one week. And then we don't care that something happens once a season because to us, all the seasons are jumbled together. So there's something just so special about that. And so for such a nostalgic, sentimental comfort show, like, 
it's just important to kind of pay tribute to its roots and to everything that has been important to it from the beginning. And, you know, I, I think just because it's not necessary for the plot, that has nothing to do with whether it's necessary to close up the show and, and make us, you know, kind of give us everything that we want. So um, I don't think it's, you know, there, there, there are no plot lines that are necessary for her to come back, but I think it's every bit as necessary as, you know, like a plot line necessity for her to come back, you know? Yeah, I completely agree with that. I think I would be upset if we had a final season without her in it at all, because if you look back to early seasons, she was the show and she really just was always there. And even the backbone, I mean, you see what she did for Holtz and like when she left, she was the backbone of him and technically then the precinct. And if you kind of look at it, everything's kind of gone awry since she has left. So I think it would be good for her to come back. But I am worried about the Pontiac Bandit because they introduced a new character that we've never heard of tonight as Jake's nemesis. So, I mean, the Pontiac Bandit's Jake's nemesis. So it's a weird play to bring someone else in. I think we have heard of this person before. I'm pretty sure they mentioned him once last season, but it was like a very like random mention. Like it wasn't Mm -hmm. something that we've ever seen before. Um, But go ahead, TJ. What were you going to say? No, I just feel like Jake has a lot of nemesis and seeing enemy. You know what I'm trying to say? <laughs> a lot of people that he don't like that he'd be fighting as a cop. Um, whatever. Uh, <laughs> he treats this job, and this is honestly eight seasons of the show. He treats this job like he's a cop on a TV show who's breaking the. He's like he's like if Deadpool were a cop in a sitcom and he knew about it. He's like he, he's break. He would be breaking the fourth wall about himself when he's getting like really giddy about um, the different things criminals are do- criminals are doing. Not ever care because it's really funny. But this was the first time I was ever like, it's a little bit weird to be getting giddy about like receiving coded like voicemails. But maybe it's just because oh my god, I started the show when I was twenty. Um, so maybe that's just maybe it's just an aging thing. I don't know. Yeah, for sure. Well, let's talk about these new episodes. I think that uh, unless anybody else has any other overarching thoughts. Okay, let's get into it. So we have, uh, we're at episode three, we're going to talk through episode three of the final season. And we see Frank O'Sullivan once more, who we saw throughout episode one of the season. And uh, there's a situation where there is an NYPD officer who finds, is it a dead mouse in a burrito? Was it? Um, And uh, they're trying to figure out who put the dead mouse there. And now the officers are on strike uh the union apparently made this up as a power move uh they have never forget burrito ribbons um and holtz you know is kind of thinking that uh this is no big whoop uh but it turns out that the uniform officers are striking and we start to see the blue flu so the way that we did this last week was i you know read out some plot points and we had you guys jump in so let me uh keep doing that and and uh guys does anyone want to jump in on you know, what we get to see in episode three overall, Operation Trident or Pentadent, as, uh, you know, Holt ends up saying. Uh, go ahead, guys. I think the funniest line of these two episodes came from one of the first scenes when you have the pins. And then he was like, oh, this is the same exact color as my color line awareness pin. And that was just such a good, I just like, kept thinking about that and laughed a lot. So it's a good start to the episode. I think having this all was a a very comedic take on some real real life stuff that could happen. And they take it in a really dumb way where it's a mouse and a burrito and then there's a whole uproar and strike. But this is actually reflected in real life. And it's so crazy that something 
like that could actually happen over a dead mouse in a burrito. So they do a really good job of discussing issues like that when strikes and unions, but they do it over a dead mouse in a burrito. So they just have that comic relief tied back to it and like the pins and all of that. So I think they did a really good job here. For sure. And what was interesting to me, guys, I don't know if you felt the same way, was, you know, obviously, episode one was a lot about, you know, the issues that were happening with police, especially in New York City. Uh, episode two was more about going, you know, the, the relationship between Holt and Kevin. And part of our discussion last week was questioning, you know, were they going to end up going back to the stuff to do with police reform? And it was interesting to me that uh, in all the promos, all the descriptions about this particular episode, I didn't see anything having to do with police reform or the sub matter of this particular episode but what ends up happening here is they end up establishing a storyline that uh, though it started in episode one is actually continuing throughout and we get to see it even more in episode four with amy planning for police reform so i found it interesting that they decided to go ahead with that for episode three without necessarily like announcing it to the world so uh, tj did you want to jump in on that yeah no it, it feels really good to um i can't remember who was on the show last week but i know somebody mentioned um that they hoped it continued as a through line. And it feels really good to know that as opposed to a one-off episode to be like, all right, let's do it. Like we did that Terry episode in episode in like season four or five, let's get it out of the way. And instead it's a season arc. And I'm like, all right, that's cool. The thing I appreciate the most about it is that they did it a couple of times before, but they are using Dr. Cotts, sorry, John C. McGinley. They're using him. Oh my God. By the way, I'm a huge Scrubs fan, but that is a whole other thing. Um, But like, Oh my God. Love seeing John C. McGinley. It's so great. John C. McGinley. Anyways, um, they are using him. And then that police, the redheaded police captain from last week to be like, Hey, like this, this is the, these are the people that do like, like this is realistically the people like this that like, exist in the police force and they've always like had a few kind of like jerks and stuff like that but they're kind of putting more prominently because i didn't expect dr cox to return um sorry uh john c mcginley to return they are purposely putting him in there so that like they're like hey so this person does exist like in the police force this is somebody that we have to deal with and then they're taking our protagonists and trying to make them the heroes that want change which fits in well with the the past seven seasons of what they've been doing. Um, so I think like, I think it's really cool because it absolutely allows them to address some of the BS of what's been going on just by bringing another character and just using them to represent that rather than making our own characters betray themselves. Like if we had Amy, like we know Amy loves rules, but if we had Amy go like all, all lives or like, sorry, if we had Amy go all blue lives matter on us, don't do my girl like that. Come on now. Like, <laughs> like we wouldn't, we wouldn't be here for it. So I just, I think it's a really, oh, this is going to sound so corny, but I think it's a really cool way to handle it by not betraying the characters and instead just using someone else that kind of works in that uh, villain type of role. For sure. I, I think that, that, um, I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know. If, I'm trying to like gather my thoughts. Obviously, we're doing this live. So it's hard to, you know, fully have fully formed thoughts about everything. But I did feel that I'm glad that they obviously they continued the storyline. I did feel that episode three 
felt more frantic in its pace and in terms of the stories that they were telling as opposed to episode one it really felt like a you know a, a beginning middle and end and episode yeah exactly so so in episode three they basically split off into these different storylines and as you know when, when you're preparing for the podcast I'm, I'm trying to you know break down these these stories into different things but they're really jumping so quickly between the different stories that I actually felt like just just from like an evaluating comedy and sitcom stuff I actually felt it like it was a little bit hard for me to keep up with everything that was happening at such a fast pace um but i am glad that they did this and i want to get into those storylines but i just really felt like it was like go 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 very quickly and they were shoving a lot into one episode i totally agree with that i thought that the i mean as as we know you guys talked about it the um they scrapped four episodes you know when when things were going on and they kind of wanted to rewrite this the narrative for the the first few episodes and for the whole season um, and honestly, to, to me, how this felt was the, the first episode felt like purely like very crafted and, and like the, the tone was good and, and everything. And then the second one felt like when they have an isolated away, you know, away from the, the precinct episode, whatever. And this one was just, so I, after those two, there was the, you know, a very specific kind of tonally, like well-received, I think one, and then there was a, uh, you know, there are these two kinds. This one, I was like, how are they going to reconcile the tone? Because those two were so specific. And then I, I mean, I, I think honestly what, what probably happened and I don't know, but I feel like it was a mishmash of like the original content with when they were rewriting it, when they allegedly scrapped four episodes, I, there's just no way that that this path, the, the third episode was written like from you know start to finish like with the intention of everything in there fitting together it was like it, it would make sense to me and I don't blame them you know if I were in their writer's room I'm, I'm sure we would have mishmashed our old material and our new material but that's how it felt like I wouldn't I wouldn't believe them if they told me otherwise to be honest I I was I was disappointed with the the lack of like tone cohesion and the just messiness and like I think we're all like you know fast-paced like quick smart people and I feel like everybody here we weren't like keeping up in the way that we would have liked to or the way we usually do. It was like these things just, it, it, it wasn't as satisfying and like clean as, as usual. And I think that's why. And again, I don't blame them. If I were in that room, I would have, you know, been totally a part of that. But that's definitely what happened. I think, I think you're completely right because it feels like, it feels like um, Holt and Kevin going through this is something that they always had in mind as like a last season. They're kind of doing what they did with Pam and Jim in the office where it's like, let's just make them have some issues in that last season. Um, like it kind of feels like we're doing with that. And this new storyline with the reform could only have happened post June of 2020. Um, the question is like, how could they have made these two seasons more cohesive because it's almost like they could have just done like a run of five episodes done a sprint like done a a, a mid-season break and then come back and do their own arc maybe is it because we're getting these two episodes and it's like a mitch match mitch match mitch match does that make it feel less like would we appreciate it more if we had this like brooklyn 99 the miniseries a five-part arc on the darkness of police reform like is it because we are jumping so heavily between such a serious, strong topic and then a heart wrenching like topic? Um, I don't know. That's rhetorical. I feel. Like. I don't know. Yeah, I know. I definitely see the the pattern here. I mean, it's pretty obvious. They're having two episodes a night. 
one is more standard, one is talking about police reform, but also I think I definitely don't think that they meant this. I agree with you, Nicole, completely that this is just scrambling in the writer's room, but it is kind of interesting how it's like, we're talking about something so serious and then we're laughing at an episode, which is kind of what's been happening. You look at the news and you're like, oh my God, this is heart wrenching. And then you change the channel and you're like, oh my God, I'm watching America's Got Talent. Haha. <laughs> like it, it kind of is representative of that. And as a sitcom, I feel like they are doing the right thing by making sticking to their like things, but they couldn't go without talking about any police reform. So I think it does kind of feel all over the place completely. And if they had more episodes, hopefully I would hope that they would do this better. But since they don't, I think they're doing the best they could do. For sure. And I am enjoying this last season. Like I, I really am. I'm enjoying the episodes that we're seeing. I just really felt like as far as episode three was concerned, like I felt like uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine is a very fast paced show. I felt like they were on hyperspeed. And I don't know if that was just a, you know, a result of what Nicole had said, where they had a lot of ideas and they were trying to like shove them all in. Um, you know, it's possible that when you have a situation like Boyle going to the doctor and finding out one of his testicles is too large, is that a plot point that was already going to be in season eight prior to them rewriting these things? And then they're trying to shove into this other episode, you know, couched in this other thing. So that's where I was looking at that. But let's let's talk about Operation Trident. Let's talk about the different, you know, plots that we do get in episode three. So we have this plot where uh, they, the officers apparently that have the blue flu, they all have these doctor's notes that say that they have mono. Uh, Boyle is immune to mono because he got it at eight years old from kissing his cousins. So <laughs> so uh, basically Holt puts them on doctor duty to go see the doctor and see what they can do. And they find out that uh, Boyle's left testicle is too large and they are worried that Boyle has cancer. And this was wild to me because I was like, are they going to you know, set up a plot point where they're going to kill Boyle in the final season? Like, that's what I was worried about. Um, did, did anybody else think that? No, except no. I just realized I, I, I'm ashamed that I thought of it. Maybe I'm ashamed I didn't think of it soon enough. But the parallel between the the phallic portrait and the testicles was that really obvious, or did I was my late to understanding that I was like they 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 did both of those in the same episode. So maybe they were meant to go together. I think that makes me feel better. I think male writers just like dick jokes. They're just they're just yeah that fits yeah. I just I want to find evidence to support that all these plot lines were written together. So makes me feel better that that these you know these dudes did that. So there we go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, first I, you guys kept laughing. Did you not get mono when you were eight from kissing your cousins? Like I thought that was pretty can't say standard. I did, but. Also, Hell I, think, no. <laughs> I wonder, I hope this is not it, but you know how like they it's a frequent theme that there's the bromance between Charles and Jake. And I hope that this isn't the only like sentimental moment we get of them together because it happens a lot throughout all of it. But I was, I was wondering the same thing. Did they bring this up to have that like sentimental moment between the two of them being like, Oh, I might die. What's going on. I hope they like have more of that throughout the next six episodes. And that they Rebecca, didn't throw this in just for that. Rebecca, 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 Rebecca. Come on. This is Charles, whatever the ham sandwich, his middle name is, Boyle. You think sentiment is going to be missing from this show? I hope a character not. like that played by Joe Latruglia? I can't. I just cannot. How dare you even have the thought? Of course we're going to get more sentiment. It's a beautiful show filled with happiness and positivity. Yeah, but now you cannot kill Boyle because you you referenced what? this earlier. So the, here's the thing: the show isn't BoJack Horseman. It's not a <laughs> dramedy. Like this is one of the few 
pure comedies. For them to kill Boyle, can you imagine, like, in the final episode, <laughs> it's Boyle's funeral, and, like, granted, that's a great premise. I'm willing to bet the writers at some point have thought about what would Boyle's funeral look like with all the cousins. See, now, that, that'd be a pretty great scene to set up, you know, with the family. But I don't think they would kill Boyle. I mean, oh, the payoff would be great. But, like, I don't think they would do that. Oh, my God. I wonder, they, has he had another near-death experience before? Because maybe, like, the last two or three seasons. Right. Maybe ever since, maybe he died then, and the last few seasons have just been his fever dream. And then the <laughs> finale will be, like, will be, like, this most of what you have seen the last three or four years all made up. How how dare you? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I, that'd be satisfying. And then we would know that this was from his perspective. Because sometimes I feel like he's the one. He's like a little left out. If I had to choose one person who feels a little left out sometimes, I'd probably say him. So More than kind Scully of, and Hitchcock? Yeah, because they have each other. I think they feel... That is true. I don't yeah, think, I don't think they feel left out. Hitchcock is working on a sex margin in Brazil. So right. it's totally I, I think they're yeah. good. But I, I don't know. I would, I would be... He's honestly... Boyle's probably my least favorite of the main characters, and I know that's unpopular, uh, but I, I kind of like that. Yeah, we have our, our friend in the audience, says, uh, D. Crom says, I did think that Boyle was going to die for a moment. Yeah. Thankfully, that was not the case. Did, I'm totally with you. I was did, like, Ooh. Do people really think about the show that they're watching? Do, do we think about the... It is not that level of comedy that they would... I, I'm trying to... Like, like, Parks and Rec would never kill off Tom Haverford. Like, it's it's too silly... It's too dark. It could never happen. Well, Watch Gina got hit by a bus, so you never know. But like, she didn't uh, die. But did she die though? No, that's but did true. Did she that's die true. though? Yeah, for um, sure. Okay, well, let's keep going with the storyline. So basically, um, Boyle is, starts eating ass cheese, like we spoke about. Um, and stop it! <laughs> stop well, it! I know what, what you're doing. doing. <laughs> I know what you're doing. Stop it! <laughs> <laughs> I'm going. I'm going right to the line. So, um, so Boyle, uh, they're they're on a stakeout, which is a classic Jake and Boyle. Um, and then uh, he starts playing uh, "I'll Be Your Crying Shoulder" by Edwin uh, McCain, which was very funny. Um, and then uh, Boyle is scared he's going to die. Has this whole moment where he's talking about you know the things that he always envisioned he was going to be doing with Jake as they grew up together in uh, in their 90s at a retirement home catching criminals, uh, which was very very funny. Um, and then, uh, you know, turns out that it was just, uh, an infection in the end. So everything was okay with that. So, um, it, this was okay. I didn't necessarily think this was an amazing storyline. Anybody have any other opinions on this? I think there was definitely something amazing here that happened, John, that we're not talking about. Okay. Charles Boyle. And I don't think no one, anyone expected this. Charles Boyle rocked that fur coat and we're not talking about it. That's important to bring up. I agree. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate you agreeing you, with me. Thank you. I'm glad you brought that up, which is rare. Yeah. I, I rarely agree with you, but All not right, only, not only do I agree with you, but I'm grateful that you brought something to the conversation. Wow. Progress. Wow. First of all, so yeah, so <laughs> By the way, Nicole and TJ love each other. They're best we friends do. off the podcast. They're just uh, do we? Do we? Yeah. My best, my best friend is right here. I mean, we just like to, we like to push each other's buttons a little bit. Of course, of course. Um, so then we have this other storyline, which I would love to talk about, which is between uh, Amy and Terry, and they're supposed to keep crime down, except Terry has a stomach bug, 
and they're not sure what to do. And they start talking with Holt and Holt tells Terry, uh, you know, if you, you he says, basically, um, you're not tough unless you, you fight through the pain. And they send uh, Terry home and he ends up learning that uh, he they find out where the sick cops are going because he ends up seeing his doctor and then they think he's sick and they invite him to this meeting. And he goes and he records the meeting. But it turns out that his stomach noises are taken over this recording. So uh, it ends up being uh holtz ends up hoisting his own petard i think i said that correctly uh anything here on the holtz uh holtz terry and amy storyline that we get to see in episode three i just think that they love um to make like the juxtaposition of terry being weak all the time and him whining and all of that so i see in the comments what was up with the terry tummy storyline i think it was just a way for them to be like, oh, we like all the storylines were like, we almost solved the case, but we didn't. We almost solved it, but we didn't. So I think that they just like making him look weak because it's funny. I mean, it just it's comedic that this huge man um, can't run. He has no cardio. He his tummy hurts from eating something wrong. So I think that was just their way of messing up like the like the solve in this case here. So I thought it was funny. I agree. It sounded like it felt like a, a plot line that could have it felt so familiar like it could have been done before you know if you told me oh actually they did that in season two I would have been like oh yeah you're right I forgot and then been like you know I I would have believed you for sure um it is pretty on the nose for what they do with Terry I I agree Rebecca they like he's the perfect example of how the show really subverts stereotypes and like something you expect uh, out of a character or caricature will like transcend what would be obvious so like this like you know, the big tough guy thing is really actually the softest character on the whole show. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it was a little on the nose. It didn't make me laugh that much just because it was so right there. But, um, I mean, you know, it, it, it felt very Brooklyn Nine-Nine kind of at its core. So I appreciate that. I think I have two thoughts on that. Um, I'm pretty sure in, in interviews that I've heard over the years that Terry Crews leans into that and kind of asks in order to like my earliest memory of Terry Crews before, like everybody hates Chris. I don't know if anybody used to watch that when they were younger, but even before that, I think some of y'all know what I'm about to say. White chicks. Uh, when he's singing that song, I don't know what the hell that song oh, is. Uh, a thousand miles. Oh my gosh. Yeah, no, no. I know the song. Every brother knows the song. I don't know if any brother knows the name of the song, like, but we know and remember Terry Crews during that moment is just a milestone in black masculinity. Uh, you know, um, <laughs> I that's, love that. that's <laughs> when I think of Terry Crews, I think of that first as kind of as somebody who's a big fan of black dudes, not necessarily needing to be like hood brothers or like these really strong, like silent types. I say, as I'm actively holding a Pokemon plush right now to the listeners, um, cause I like cute ish and I'm an adorable person as somebody who's a very big fan of masculinity, not fitting into this, like only alpha or like athletic role. Um, you love seeing what like Terry Crews, uh, and even what like Andre Brower do in those roles. Um, and I, I'm very, I, I I'm almost, I'm, I'm like 95% sure Terry Crews is aware of it and like is for it and wants it. Like he likes it. Like one of the, one of my first notes from the fourth episode is tiny Terry. Just the, like he speaks in the third person. He's silly. Like it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. Um, and, but it's not like making fun of the character. It's more just having fun with like those types of perceptions. And I really appreciate that. 
So basically what happens is, is they decide to bring in extra officers to man the streets because there's nobody out there. And they end up bringing in a bunch of Hitchcock and Scullies from all these other precincts. And this was my favorite part of this episode in terms of just co- like pure comedy. I just thought this was so funny to see all the Hitchcock and Scullies <laughs> giving each other back massages in the back room. And, and the real Scully is just like, I've never had anything like this in my life before. Just so excited. Uh, they end up giving them pedometers to go out and check their steps to make sure that they're actually moving. But turns out they all went to a massage, uh, like a place with massage chairs, which I didn't even know that was a thing. I didn't know that you could fake your steps by going to a massage chair. Uh, but yep. that was it, great. It reminds me of like on Wii Tennis. Did you guys play on the Wii? Like you could do Hell any yeah. sport sitting down. Any any of those sports, bowling, tennis, um, golf, baseball, boxing, all five, you could do sitting down in Excel. It reminded me of that. And I'm, I love my health app, like tracking my steps. Um, so sometimes, you know, when I'm trying to like break my 10,000, I do like a little walk in place thing. Like, so <laughs> I appreciated that. I uh, love that. I'm- I love that. I thought the visual gag of all those men jiggling in the chairs with the pedometers was the funniest sight gag of that episode. Just visually, it cracked me up. Um, I also love that from like season, mostly from like season three on, I think, when it kind of regularly gave them more like lines and stuff. But like Hitchcock and Scully are the kings of doing nothing to like an academic level it's incredible like honestly there could be like extra they don't need to do this because be more work on their part and maybe there is because nbc will ring their actors for work um but like i absolutely could watch like them give tutorial like buzzfeed tutorials on like how to do nothing it'd be incredible oh my gosh it'd be fantastic yeah, I think uh, Scully and Hitchcock are just two characters that can literally not even say anything and we're going to laugh at them. So multiplying them was just a smart way to get laughs. Because if <laughs> we're laughing at the two of them doing something, we're laughing at 10 of the two of them doing something. So even just the 9-9, they hold up the back scratchers. It's like the dumbest thing. They do 9-9 all the time, but we just laughed both times that they did it because they're so easy to laugh at. Yeah, it's really great. And also, I get a bunch of steps on my Fitbit over here from podcasting. And I'm always thinking to myself, like, how does that work? So, no, I'm not kidding. I literally, like, there's times when I'm on here and then I feel it buzz when I get to 10,000 steps. And I'm like, how did this happen? Because I must be talking with my hands a lot. That's happened to me. That's happened to me when I've been driving before. Like, I'll, I'll know that I'm close to like my goal and I'll be driving. And then it'll say, like, hey, you just hit like your goal. And I'm like, how in the hands? I am in a vehicle, sir. Uh, like, I don't know how it does it, but it cracks me up. Like, it'll, like, I'll be actively driving. Um, oh my God. I'm such a steps person. So I'm going to just write all these down and steal these ideas. I, I'm like, I'm that, that girl that it's like, gotta get my 10,000. You could also be the girl that just gets up. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I am, but okay. I usually am. But yesterday I, I, yeah, I, I, I have to, at the end of the day, I have to do a little. Little Don't walking place. Walking city, like. Yeah, but yeah, like last night it was like eleven fifty-seven. I was doing a face mask, so I like you know I was just walking in place while the face masks dried, and like I had to do my whole thing. I got like ten thousand mm-hmm. and eleven by the end, so it was perfect. Oh my god! Yeah, that, that by the way is the most like talk about uh, annoying things is that when you're it's like eleven thirty or something and you look and you're just like like I don't know a few hundred steps yeah. away and you end up doing laps around infuriating. Oh yeah, infuriating. I, do it I will every walk day. around my kitchen island. I will. Oh my god. Yeah. Oh. 
Yeah. And I know what's being stand. edited out. <laughs> my watch tells me to stand and I'll stand for the minute just to close that. And I'm a circle. I'm a ring person. I don't, I don't count my steps, but I close all my rings every day. So I stand Wait, up for like a minute. And then Wait, what is that? Like that? Wait, ring? What is that? Clo- yeah, you close. It's a like, watch. It's just a Seattle thing. This is like, like the Canada. Thing. So then you close all your rings. It's exercise, movement, and standing. Oh, okay, okay, got it, got it. Fair I close it. Like, I close it already today. So is it like hourly? Yeah. Like you got to stand once a day? So it's like you're supposed to stand at least like once an hour for twelve hours. Oh, okay. I bought a okay. standing desk, so I've been like. I have a standing desk, so I stand most of the day anyway. About to rise that sh- sugar right now. <laughs> okay, sorry. All right. So, <laughs> so yeah, so we get this other storyline where they bring in Rosa and we're always, I guess the, you know, the main thing for season eight is we're just trying to figure out how are we going to incorporate Rosa into these episodes since she's no longer works at the precinct. So they bring her in as an external investigator to investigate the, what happened with the mouse in the burrito. It turns out that uh, they bought the mouse. They found it very easy. They found footage of obviously the police officer would not know that there is footage across the street on the street cams and they end up bringing it. Uh, they see footage of the police officer buying a mouse at a pet store about an hour earlier so they basically think that they solved this whole thing except that they get this conversation that is like uh, pretty powerful i think between holt and o'sullivan and they use o'sullivan as the you know like the uh, a counterpoint i guess against this where they start talking um and holt basically tells uh o'sullivan that he's a liar o'sullivan gets upset it calls holt racist for saying he doesn't know how to talk to somebody um like o'sullivan it turns into a whole thing and basically it ends up resulting in Holt realizing that he should focus on the things that they didn't do and realizing that uh, fewer cops are actually better for, you know, numbers and crime and all of that stuff. So it ends up coming into a good place, but it was interesting to see how they got there. Anyone want to talk about this like overall arching ending? I loved this. I loved it. I see this is where like a little more like a time I could like put together the thought, but I loved seeing just like him use statistics and like either way he was going to like get a win. And I love that this was like their way of trying to bring up the discussion of like, granted, I'll be completely honest. And so maybe I should qualify this. I don't fully understand what the term defund the police mean because defund the police means, because I know it doesn't mean get rid of the police. I know that's not what it means. Just I'm assuming it means less funding. But I'm not sure what that like leads to solution-wise. So I can say I don't understand that, but I feel like it was touching on that argument of talking about lessening research sources so maybe that your police force isn't a military force. Instead, it's just some brothers that are helping some other brothers make sure that they're being good brothers out in these streets. Um, I mean, I'm, not every cop, cop is a brother, but you know what I'm trying to say. Um, but like, I, th- I could be wrong, but that was my interpretation as in like, Oh, Captain Holt noticing that could lead to less BS dealing, uh, less BS happening to citizens. And I was like, that was really cool. And then I also got sad for a moment as I'm actively saying this because I was like, oh, it's not real. <laughs> like, I just got sad because I was like, well, this just bums me out <laughs> a little bit, but not during the show. I was laughing, but like, it just bums me out now because it's, or maybe it is real. Maybe there's stuff out there and you don't know what people are doing because people are individuals, you know, but hope is dead. Who knows? Um, this is a comedy well, the, podcast, right? 
Yeah, for sure. Well, TJ, I was going to say that I do think that, uh, you know, sometimes people come up with ideas from, you know, wild places. And sometimes it could only take, you know, somebody watching their favorite TV show for them to be sparked with an interesting idea. And I'm not saying that this is real or this stuff that they come up with in Brooklyn Nine-Nine can be applied to real life. It's obviously a simplified version of everything that people end up dealing with. But I do think it's uh, good for people to uh, think about things through the lens of comedy sometimes because the world can be so serious and and crazy. So I think that there are some interesting points here that I think could be explored in real life too. One additional like thought on that, um, and I won't make it too long, but honestly, comedies uh, and like standups are a way that, not that I'm convinced of an idea or that I want to say that I am completely like convinced of something, but it is absolutely the best way to introduce something to me. Um, like I can't like count the number of like comics that have introduced like different, like little like quality of life things that I've been like, huh, maybe I should look more into that. What is that about? It's, it's always a great way to get me to pay attention to something as opposed to somebody trying to like lecture me. Um, so I absolutely like, I don't know much about defund the police, but it kind of, it does put it in my mind to like, I should understand like a little bit more. So you're right. I, I think it's, it's for me not for everybody, but for me, it is like, because people learn lots of different ways, but that's the way you'll be able to like teach me something. If you're trying to get me to learn something, make me laugh. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And go, huh? Like, yeah, for sure. So the only other thing that we get from this episode is we have this storyline where Rosa, like we said, solved the case. And part of the deal was she gets to see where Holt's tattoo was. And I don't, has this been something I, maybe I'm just forgetting because it's been a while since I've watched older episodes. Has this been a storyline in the past? Anybody about Holt's having a tattoo or is this something new? I think so. Um, I'm like, oh, and I'm only like 60% sure. Okay. Uh, well, if you're a listener and you, and you are listening along or tell us after the fact, let us know. But, uh, basically, uh, they get to see the tattoo. Jake is super excited because Jake bought the evidence off of Rosa. And we see that the tattoo is just a dot or as Holt would say, a decimal point. Uh, but it turns out that Rosa actually paid even more, uh, or Holt actually paid even more to Rosa to keep the, the real tattoo away. And we don't get to find out what it is. I, my assumption is we're going to get to find out what his tattoo is by the end of the season, hopefully, or maybe that's just a point that they they left off. Yeah, I think I think the funniest part is that Rose is like, oh, I got to see your tramp stamp. And he's like, I don't have a tramp stamp. She's like, a lower back tattoo. And he's like, oh, yeah, I have that. I just didn't know what it was called. So I think it's important to note that um, now Jake thinks that he has a decimal on like as a tramp stamp, which is super funny. Yeah. Uh, anyone else got anything on episode three or we're good to move on to episode four? Wouldn't it make more sense for Boyle to have the tramp stamp? <laughs> yeah, but he wouldn't hide it. We would all know about it. That's so true. That he would like been... parade it around and everything too. Yeah, premiere episode, we would have seen that. <laughs> no debate on that one. Yeah, and also I'm pretty sure his ass was out for the majority of episode three, so I think we definitely right. would have seen yeah. it. Yeah, would not I have can't... been a plot line. It would have been just too, too right in our faces. One last thing about episode three that I just realized. Um eating ash cheese was their way to be able to say the that phrase without the cheese on a network sitcom because yeah. it's definitely something that's in the zeitgeist is sort of like a meme a bit or maybe people's home practices who knows um but like it's definitely also used for humor 
And it's it's absolutely something you can picture Andy Samberg cracking up about or those writers. And so it's very funny because you can picture they're in the Sorry, cracking up about. <laughs> oh, my funny. God. I'm a child. <laughs> <laughs> you can absolutely picture them like talking about like, oh, like eating ass. Da, 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 da. And then immediately submitting the script to the network and they're like there's no way we're gonna let you do this and then they're like oh no we're gonna get you to let us do it and so they have to figure out some kind of workaround to do it yeah. because it, it it just feels like oh yeah if we were on a cable show or like a streaming we would easily do charles doing an, uh, a joke about that but it's it's really funny that that's their way they have to be able to like say it because this network yeah for sure charles was really the butt of the joke there um all right, episode number four. So, bringing it up to get, the rear episode. No, that was terrible. Uh, all right. Uh, so, we now get that to, episode three is behind us, let's start with episode four. Mm. There okay. we go. <laughs> you guys ready? Any, right, any we're more? Okay, we're good. Okay. And we're done. All right. So, um, there was a murder this morning, and uh, Jake realizes that there is a deck of cards and two, uh, I guess, three lamps and two sets of two. So he knows that this has to be Franzia. But the problem is, is that he cannot work on the case too much because somebody needs to watch Baby Mac, uh, Return of the Mac, in episode four. And we get uh, Amy, who is working on this pilot program to figure out how to uh, disperse and deploy the new uniformed officers in terms of the reform that they took about in episode three. So we get these two competing storylines where Jake has this really important case that he wants to take on. And Amy has this presentation that she needs to work on. And I actually felt like episode four uh, was much more clear and concise. And I really enjoyed where this particular episode went. Um, Rekha, you want to jump in on this one? Yeah, I thought, I mean, I really like to see them as parents. That's what I was hoping for in the season is to really see the parenting of it all and see the roles that each takes because they are both super hard workers, whether Jake like seems that way or not. They are both super, super hard workers. So it's an interesting dynamic to see how they are raising a kid together when they both have so much going on. And it was great to see that sacrifices had to be made. And I think that that was definitely something, a really interesting factor of the whole thing is that I didn't really know what stance they were going to take. And I knew neither one of them was going to be a stay-at-home parent. But a lot of these shows, the parents have kids and then like, oh, seven episodes later, you're like, oh, we have a kid? Oh, I forgot about that. And they really are talking about the baby a lot, a lot of baby plot lines. So I think that it was really, it was a good dynamic to see them like frantic and struggling on how to parent and also have their jobs. And that it was super nice to see the husband uh, be the one that has to stay home with the baby. So I like that. I was going to say it, it had this very like postmodern feminist feel of like, they're both the, they're both working and they even work together. Um, and it's a struggle and they're both struggling to make it work. And in the end, like he's the one with the baby who had sees this big milestone of him, you know, standing up and then she's the one working like, it, it was this very like subtle kind of feminist thing. Um, and I like that. I mean, Brooklyn Nine-Nine is so good at that kind of thing. Like in these like non-pressure moments of like, you know, issues, you know, they're just, they've always been good at like those kind of subtle things. So I like that. It was heartwarming. And it reminded me that I, I wish that the public had been, we, we had seen more of Andy Samberg's um, daughter because he like, he's never said her name and I respect his privacy, but I just like seeing his eyes light up um, when Mac stood up. I was like, 
I want just a little bit, like, I want you to talk about your daughter on, on Seth's show, like, just a little bit. But I respect his privacy, but I just was like, aw, he's a, he's yeah. a good dad. We're not getting a Cosmo Joe situation with Andy Sandler. No. Where, yeah, exactly. Sadly um, not. Yeah, go ahead, TJ. Um, I'm a sucker for, like, any really sweet, like, dad moment in, like, a movie or a TV show. Like, oh my god like it puts me in my feelings like it really does like any like moment of like a dad just being like proud of their kid just turns me to mush but i i kind of feel a bit of contrarianism a little bit here and this this is this is the reason i i, I it comes to my mind um i'm thinking of three shows uh cougar town parks and rec and good girls and in, in these shows at some point well not cougar town exactly but in these shows at some point the discussion of having kids is brought up and granted i don't know if anybody here is on this panel has children i don't think none of us okay we none of us had kids so we're not even qualified to really talk about this but <laughs> uh <laughs> um Anyways, the discussion of bring having kids is like brought up in Cougar Town. They give it, they make it so that make up some random character, so that like uh, Courtney Cox can have a kid without her having to like be pregnant on screen. Amy Poehler uh, in Parks and Rec, they do the time jump, and then in Good Girls, uh, 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 the the lead actress I can't remember her name is um, great actress for Mad Men. Um, she has kids, but it is not the main plot line and the kids show up sometimes but it is not like the main like thing i guess i did for the first time in a while i was watching a show when they didn't exactly like even like show the kids face only like a little bit of the body i really thought for a second i was like oh they're doing the thing where they're not trying to make it that just become they just because they become parents their entire like they they have plot lines that they have to force in and so I really, I thought they were going to treat it like those shows did where it was just like, we're going to see the kid and the kid exists, but like, they're still going to have like more workplace stories rather than like family stories. Not that that's a bad thing. I just, I'm surprised that they actually acknowledged the child and made the child a piece of the scene. And then also like showed the child's face because I was with those more recent shows kind of taking on takes of, you know, not making, you know, Amy turn into like a stay at home mom or making the female character or uh, making the parents like go into like just like parental generals i thought they were going to try to subvert again which i think they kind of did because they still made it like a full-on work story uh in a way but i was i was kind of anticipating um them not acknowledging the kid and so i was surprised when they did yeah i think you were talking about christina hendrix uh as the actress that you were yes of. oh my right. god good but, girls fantastic yeah. show i just wanted to make sure that uh, for anyone listening and yelling at their uh their phones uh, so <laughs> Yeah, so basically, uh, what I loved about this episode four, I think this is what what stood out to me, is that there's these two competing storylines between, there's obviously a third one, which we're going to get to, but uh, there's these two competing storylines between this case against Franzia, and then there's also the storyline about Amy working on this police reform. But it's all really, the you know, the plot points are really about Jake and Amy. And it's all about, you know, them together and them with the with the baby situation with uh, should they give Max screen time and should they uh, what do they do about lice at the daycare and, you know, talking to their families. And they end up at one point putting maple syrup in their hair, which, by the way, I didn't know that was a thing. Did anybody else know that was a thing? No, I've gone through my fair share of uh, lice trauma growing up with going to camp and at home. And I've never done that. I've done olive oil in the hair and set up a face wash. but I've never heard of maple syrup. Hopefully I'll never have to try it, but I mean, good to know. 
So I thought you had to shave your head. Uh, like I've never had lice, so I don't know. But I, is that not a thing? Is that just a myth? Okay. <laughs> I don't um, think you can shave your head. John, I think a lot of like guys do because it's like easier. But um, I don't know anyone that shaved their head from lice. Um, John, I, and this might, John, I don't know if there was actually um, maple syrup is what they had in the hair in my broadcast. Uh, I think that might have just been because you were in Canada. Yeah. I was going to say, yeah. when yeah. I first thought when you said that was like, I don't know, but you're Canadian. You, he said like, by the way, did anyone hear that in John's voice? He he had this sort of Canadian flair when, when he asked about the, the maple syrup. So I'm so glad you had a good joke there, TJ. Because I heard I, really I heard you're Canadian more than usual when you asked about it. So Jake oh, and Amy didn't walk over to a tree on the street and just get some maple syrup. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it was actually it was actually bacon grease uh, in our broadcast here in the states. Yep. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah. Just exactly. mayonnaise. It was. Oh. oh. Mayonnaise. Yes. <laughs> Wait, what's that from? Because that was definitely in a show somewhere. Someone put mayonnaise on the hair for something. Yes. That sounds like something was in a pile. Yeah. We're gonna, yes. we're, we're gonna. We're gonna figure that out. By the way, by the way, I've never had lice. Um, Me neither. Okay. All right. So Rebecca is the odd person out. Yeah. 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 She's the lice-headed. Rebecca. Yeah. The lice-headed. But it's a thing when you go to school. Why you get lice so much, Rebecca? Wait, wait, wait. One person at a time. A certain number of people get it. I never had lice before, but um, and then you said lice trauma. What is lice trauma? It's collective trauma. People near me that had lice, and like you yeah, do the Cetaphil as like a preventative thing. It like forms a thing around your head, and then the olive oil is also preventative. So that's yeah. it's even worse, and you don't even have any to do all the treatments. It's collective shared trauma, yeah. With with yeah. school, like uh, if yeah, I never, okay. I we always had the lice checks, and I I I never had it, but. I think if a certain number of people within like a classroom or something got it, then everybody had to go through the the, the process. But I never had to do that. But it is, it, yeah. There's lots of lots of trauma for a lot of people around lice for sure. And it was embarrassing. It was like, wait, if you, I mean, I I didn't have it, but like, so I, I don't know. <laughs> it was embarrassing just, for other it people. Seemed embarrassing. It no, seemed, everyone was like, oh, lice like clean hair. So if you don't have it, you're dirty. And I was like, yeah, that was dirty. such a thing. <laughs> But also, I see in the comments here, Meredith in season nine of The Office did a mayonnaise in her hair. Yes, thank you. That's what that was oh, there it is. Oh, my gosh. And she did shave her head. She shaved her yeah, head. That's what was the whole thing. That, okay. that tracks. <laughs> thank you so much. Okay, so we figured that out. Yeah, but the um, – so anyways, but for me, it was actually only in summer camp that they ever checked me for lice because that would typically go around at a summer camp. They check for lice and they check for – I don't know if you guys have this down in the States. They want to check for impetigo. Did you guys have that? Okay. Yeah, my what summer do, camp had lice and empatago. What is that like? A, what is that like a potato dish? Is it's that, like a like little. A, it's a little kid like skin thing. It's oh, like, like a eczema? rash, basically, but it's really contagious. It's a really. I've like only ever seen it with little kids that have it. I've never seen. I've never heard of that in my life. I've never heard of that a single day in my life ever. Look at it. It's yeah. cute. Oh my god! It's, it's cute. Oh, it's, a, it's a it's a cute rash. Uh, it's so cute. <laughs> it's trendy. Um, trendy. <laughs> it sounds chuggy, actually, not trendy. Oh my god! I saw it on the explore page. <laughs> it was on my FYP on TikTok. I, it was uh, actually I was I put it on my Pinterest board actually. Um, right, guys, I can so, get it at some point. <laughs> so except for uh, even though I did say maple syrup and not regular syrup, I just want to clarify that unlike Scully, this did not make me horny seeing them put the maple syrup <laughs> on the head. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just, just Thank you for telling us all. I just thought it was I'm, important to clarify that. Yeah. yeah, I'm really glad that the desk didn't rise in the shot. Um. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> um, 
All right. So uh, <laughs> between this and the Ted Lasso coverage we did, we're covering a lot of ground over here. Yeah, we really uh, are. Yeah. Uh, so then there's ants in the bed at three in the morning because of the syrup. It's a very funny scene where they're freaking out. And then um, they have this whole thing where they're trying to figure out what to do. They end up bringing in a few different uh, sitters. They interview them at the precinct to see if it was possible to have one of them, they all are super creepy. Uh, one of them ends up giving them a toy. I think it's a toy giraffe. And I think it's uh, a lion. A lion. Okay. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So then they end up uh, figuring out that it turns out that the police station was bugged and the bug was actually in one of the toys and one of the sitters ends up being uh, Franzia the entire time. Uh, so that was great. Um, I did find that when, so Amy, Amy does her presentation also at the same time uh, she's preparing for it. She finds out that she has to hurry up. So it all ends up like uh, culminating in this moment where Jake and Amy are trying to figure out who gets to go to the presentation and who gets to deal with the case. Jake decides to be, you know, the good dad and watch the child. And Amy gets to go to the presentation where she goes and she meets uh, Austin Grant, who is the hot dud. He's a HUD. He looks great in his uniform and he is there for the presentation. She goes with Terry um, in her nerd uh outfit <laughs> and uh yeah and then she goes in she kills the presentation uh terry ends up pouring water on uh, austin's grant's pants and ends up not going ahead working well with the presentation so uh they end up winning amy ends up winning the presentation so that was basically the storyline there but i thought that the moment where they were in the precinct and amy and jake were arguing about the whole thing was one of the funniest moments in you know that i've seen in the two episodes tonight my biggest question guys is why didn't terry take mac why did terry have to stand outside at amy's presentation and jake couldn't go off i have the same question i mean so that the woman line. could go work and that the man could stay home it was for the storyline i mean it was an unnecessary thing. But. Yeah, I think we I think we needed that visual of like it was it was really good physical comedy. I thought um, Melissa, whose birthday it is today, and Andy's was yesterday, um, but I thought oh. she was like really a star in terms of like her physical comedy with like her expressions with her hair and like the glasses. Like she was really like being, just bringing all that stuff to light. So I thought it was a, a cute moment um, that I'm glad that like the two of them shared together. Um, so yeah, for logic aside, I, I thought it was like, you know, it created some cute moments and some good comedy with that. It was the two parents. Amy did three awesome things in this episode for me that I, I really, really dug the wop on the butt was the yeah. funniest. <laughs> I thought that was great. I thought, I love that. That's also now in the lexicon of like slang. It's awesome. Um, I, yeah. I thought that was really, really funny. They say wop on the butt. It's like, that's great. <laughs> that's, that's fantastic. Um, Amy did her famed celebration dance, which I don't know if anybody realized it is the same dance that she's, I can't remember. I might've been a heist episode, but she's done that exact dance before where she does like this little like shimmy and then like flutters her arms like up and down, like uh, a, a swan that doesn't know how to fly. I don't know if swans can fly. I'm not great with nature. You guys, um, uh, me and nature ain't friends. Um, I thought that was fantastic when she was doing her celebration. dance. it's really cute and really funny. And I learned something about myself today, and I don't know if I'm necessarily proud about it. The line, <laughs> let me let me rephrase this. When she was wearing the glasses and the big hair, I'm not gonna lie. I dug it. 
I don't you know what it was. Fetish. You have a nerd fetish. I don't have a nerd fetish. I just think girls look hot in glasses. Um, <laughs> like I don't know what it was. Like I don't. I don't know. I I like girls in glasses. I think they look really like cute. Dude. Oh. <laughs> Shut up! Oh my god! <laughs> for, the listener, for the listeners, Rebecca might have just put some some glasses on. This is not okay. Upon realizing, this is not okay. Yeah, we are doing a show. We are doing a show, madam. Um, yeah, but like, I was like, I don't think a nerd fetish is a thing. But honestly, lots of things are a thing, and I did not know that. Um, lots of things th- are a thing. So. Yeah, lots of things are a thing. Yeah. Um, and hey, and everybody, everybody can have all their things. But I thought it was really funny when they said your nerd fetish because, like, she absolutely is the one. Oh my god, they both have it. Because remember, there's that scene I'm thinking last season where they're like actively trying to like out nerd each other, and Jake's trying to start like really dumb nerd facts, and she's like, "Oh, mama." Um, yes, 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 yes. I yeah. remember that. Yep. <laughs> uh, so. Yep. I learned something about myself today. I was today years old when I learned um, that you have a nerd fetish. Shut up! Oh my god, (laughs) I just think I just like glasses. Okay, like and the big hair too. And Melissa from there was a gorgeous woman. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah. We got to be careful not to book TJ on podcasts with women with glasses. No, I like fighting with. Oh my! Actually, no. Yeah, yeah. That's 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 for the best. Yeah, I thought you were, saying, right, right, thought right, you were right, gonna right. say on shows with Nicole. I no, know that's no, what I thought because we've been, I am a we professional. I'm yeah, what happened with Rosa this episode? Yeah, let's yes. get to that. So yes. this yeah, is our yeah. last storyline from episode four, which was uh, uh, Holt decides to move in with Rosa because uh, therapy has been not going too great, and they end up deciding to get drunk, which I think was great. I do think that we possibly had some drunk scenes with Rosa and Holt that were filmed that were cut, totally. and I. Yeah, and I really missed that. I really felt like that was something that I wish we saw. Me but we too. basically get like the next morning where they are hungover, and then Holt realizes that he sent a dick pic to Kevin while he was drunk. Excuse me, was- sir. It was a digital phallus portrait, sir. Yep. So, so dick, dick pics are not hot, but digital phallic <laughs> portraits. Wow, that's he. He literally I mean. rebranded the dick pic. I was like, wow, that's amazing. Like that's that's incredible. Well, this was great because this is what I thought. I thought he came up with a whole new way to send dick pics, which was to email them because, of course, they're not teenagers. They wouldn't be texting. So to email the dick pic. And yeah, it was great. And then also to say, uh, dear dear Kevin, please. uh, I forget what the exact words were. It was attached as a a photograph of my penis. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) To send your dick as an email attachment. Can you imagine? (laughs) Right. It's kind of nice because you're giving someone the option to choose and suppose assaulting their eyes on like a Sunday morning. Oh now, my now, God. Now I myself have never received a dick pic, but if I did receive one by email, I feel like I would be more open to see receiving it than by text. <laughs> would you not agree, panel? Not at all. No, man. Bro, hell no. Oh my gosh. I would oh agree. my I God. Would I mean, depends on what I have like 11 <laughs> emails and they have various, you know, owners and, um, use you know like i don't, I don't know who, who can look through my my emails but um yeah okay I, I don't know that. i don't yeah, even right. look re- oh, like restaurant reservations on my work email Nicole, like, we want we want to hear what rebecca has to say yeah hold yeah, on yeah. now <laughs> well, I didn't think you say something interesting oh my god think, tell. i think an email is a nice way to do it what the like tj f- said it doesn't just pop up i mean i've never had this experience but i would be really intrigued well you've never been sent email. one you never read email, email. She has not. Oh, not, not. Oh, we're talking about mediums now. That's okay, what all right. Um, <laughs> that is 
certainly what it is intended for. That is what I don't people know. I thought use that this was for. so great. Anyway, I think that the way I just like when Holt doesn't become do typical Holt things, but in the most Holt fashion, they, he totally. never loses that. He doesn't, he's not this dry character, which be eight seasons. We know this, but every time um, he does something that would be out of character, it's still in Holt fashion. So I just really, they're so good about it. I mean, that was incredible. This whole scene. I know it's not what we were exactly mentioning, but I just keep thinking about the Fanny Slap song. And I've never been more uncomfortable in my life, you guys. You oh, that remember? was okay. not that that didn't pass the vibe check for me, actually. Thank, it was thank the, you. It was the one of the three there were three um babysitter interviews and they did it in the interrogation room, which had a funny kind of undertone to it. And okay. the one of them had this like creepy song, and it was like, uh is the comedy really worth the creepy there? I would say no. I would say I'd rather have seen the drunk Rosa and Holt uh, stuff instead of that little montage of like creepy babysitter interviews. That's a good but. point. There's There might be like eventually, uh, maybe at the end of the season, there might be one of those Hulu extended episodes. Actually, yeah. I, know, I know they used to do that I with Parks and Rec. Yeah. 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 So let's let's just wrap up the storyline because um, I don't want I don't want to go too long here. But the basically uh, they what end up going over. Over. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, they end up going to uh, Kevin's house and I guess Holt's house as well. I'm not sure if they're still living together. What the, what the situation is, but they end up going and uh, they end up getting a book. And Kevin walks in on them. Yeah, they're trying to delete the email before he gets to it because Kevin only checks his email once a day at like 4:30 or something like that. Um, and uh, they end up deleting the email. Kevin finds them and they come back to Rosa's apartment. And Rosa explains to Holtz that she believes that Kevin was disappointed that he was only there to, uh, you know, read a book or to check what Rosa was doing. Uh, so he should really, you know, change his behavior and, and show Kevin how much he misses him. So he decides to re-email the dick pic over to Kevin and to my understanding, he gets a scatter plot back. Is that some type of code? Like, did he get a dick pic back? Is that what we're talking about? No, I, I truly believe that he got a scatter plot with a big data set. And also, he oh, ended up texting it to him. He ended up texting it to him in that, like, last scene when he was just sitting there. Rosa, who ne- we never see that, like, kind of emotional side of her, is like, he misses you. He Like, before, she's like, send a dick pic. And then she's like, oh, why don't you give him, like, attention and say that you miss him? And he's like, I just texted him a dick pic. And he sent me back a scatter plot. And I was like... This is so good that that was his reaction, immediate reaction to the dick pic. And Holt loved it. I mean, a big data set. Actually, actually, I wonder if that's one of their names for each other. Big data. Big data. That'd be it's cute. Like yeah, big daddy, big dad. Yeah, big, big, yeah, that's not that's a bad kind name. That's cute and it is. could be yeah. sexualized appropriately. I yes. think it works. Thank you for approving my 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 yeah, sexual approve. nickname. Yeah, I don't always you. approve of you, but but this time I do. What is <laughs> with this? <laughs> I don't know. You guys all you guys all egg me on. I I like it. But yeah, yeah. what is happening here? I all am right, holding. Man- okay, wait, wait, hold on, hold on, TJ, TJ. Okay, Let, let's I've let's never let's said- Let's let's wrap this up. Okay, so two storylines that we get to see. Let's let's talk about this. Uh, Nicole, uh, give me uh, either a number or a letter grade. Like, what were your overall thoughts, episode three and episode four? Uh, okay. Just, yeah. Know, episode three, B minus. Episode four, A minus slash B plus. Okay. Okay. Rebecca, what about you? I'm such an easy, easy. <laughs> like you can amuse me easy. So I was gonna say a B for episode three, and then an A for episode uh, four. Okay, TJ. I'm gonna say like a B minus. 
Um, episode, uh, yeah, B, no, B, B, regular B, because I like that scene with the stats with Halt. Um, and episode four definitely was like higher for me, so I'm gonna give it like an A minus, um, just to piss off Amy. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think that, uh, you know, I've been here for the last uh, two weeks. So I think that, uh, I think that last week I did enjoy what we saw from episodes one and two more than what I saw from episodes three and four this particular week. I think that episode four was the better of the two, in my opinion. Um, I think that uh, I did enjoy where episode three was going in terms of its subject matter. I don't know that it executed it in the way that I really would have loved to have seen, but I, I, I really did. I am enjoying the season. I'm very excited to see what's going to come in the next six episodes definitely hopefully uh lots of cameos and uh you know we'll see what happens i hope we get a really big celebration as we're headed towards the final six episodes of this season so uh let's go around uh, i'd like to thank anyone who was watching live and after the fact who joined us to talk about brooklyn 99 uh really fun to get to talk about a show that is different from snl and some other shows that we've been talking about uh nicole let me ask you for some plugs and what have you uh, been up to yeah, um, thanks for having me on. I, it's been been fun and different uh, to talk about Brooklyn Nine Nine over here. So I I'm just chilling, working, um, enjoying summer. Sad that it's going to be over because summer is my favorite and my birthday month. You too, John. Um, so I'm just soaking it in. And you can find me at Nicole Rovine on Instagram and on Twitter. Perfect. Uh, Rebecca, thank you for joining us from the West Coast. I know it's not easy to of catch course. those shows live, but I do appreciate it. Where can people reach out to you? At Rebarbecue on all social media. I'm not picky. And yeah, I mean, thank you for having me again. I love talking to you guys. Yeah, for sure. What have you been up to? Anything interesting? No. Um, work. Uh, <laughs> work. Yeah. I got a, another surgery, you know, just adds to the line. And I'm about to go to a drag race viewing party. So it's exciting. Like is it uh, RuPaul's Drag Race viewing or is it RuPaul's actually drag people race. drag racing with cars? Okay. No, I was wondering yeah, the same thing too. I was like, which? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, for sure. And, and before I move on to TJ, Rebecca, I just want to ask you uh, professional opinion on the relationship between Nicole and TJ. Oh my God. <laughs> I mean, as, as a professional um, computer scientist, I would say that um, there's some things to talk about. I'm not going to throw around the term sexual tension, but. What the? Fuck? I'm just kidding. I'm just I mean, you did. Uh, that. No, I love it. I want to hear you guys just talk for an hour, the two of you, and me to sit here. But we're gonna have to make it happen. So, yeah. so we'll make thanks. It happen. That'd, be a, that'd yeah. be a fun show. That'd be a fun yeah, show. Yeah, for sure. Thanks, Rebecca. Uh, TJ, thank you for joining us. Uh, always appreciate. It. Always great to talk to you. Where can people reach out to you? Uh, you can follow me at King Compliment on both Instagram and TikTok. Never Twitter. Um, I did for a split second try to make sure I could secure King Compliment on Twitter, but somebody already has it. So. It, it just it just won't happen. Um, but also, I, uh, I have an old podcast I used to do uh, with um, some friends talking about life in our 20s. And we also made a, a few TikToks, a few little skits um, called Team Trashcast. You can follow us at Team Trashcast on both, in, uh, on both Instagram and TikTok. Uh, and I have a podcast called R Rabbit Trail that's going to be uh, coming up pretty soon that I'm still working on. We just did some promo uh shoots and we're doing some more our promo work for it so um yeah you can follow me to find out more about that that's awesome thank you so much tj for joining us and it was really fun to get to talk to you always and we're going to have you uh back on coverage later on in the season so yeah you uh, will 
yeah, for sure. And all, all of you guys, we head towards SNL, which is coming up. We did make an announcement on social media last week about SNL coming up in, I think it's about six and a half weeks now, a little bit over that. So that is really exciting. I cannot wait for season 47. We're going to have lots of news and lots of fun announcements for our coverage as we move forward. Uh, let's talk about what is happening on SNL stats. Uh, we did have some Ted Lasso coverage. Rebecca and TJ were a part of that. That was a lot of fun. We spoke to Siobhan Fallon, who is a cast member who was uh, on SNL in the 90s. She was a part of many great TV shows, men, uh, 30 Rock, uh, SNL, Seinfeld, movies like Men in Black and Forrest Gump. It was a great interview. We got to hear some amazing stories from her. So definitely check that out. For all our Brooklyn Nine-Nine coverage, we are going live about 15 minutes after the episodes air. So if you're just checking out this one and you missed last week's coverage, we had some great discussions with Roy, Amanda, and Bill talking about episode one and two. And we will be back next Thursday night, same time, you know, book your appointments as you join us for at 9.15, 9.9.15 as we head towards the rest of the season to follow us on TikTok, Instagram, and Twitter would mean a lot because it means you would never get to miss anything that we are doing. We have people who are working really, really hard to get uh, all of our coverage out to you guys and some really fun other things that Nicole has been working on as well. So I'm excited to put all that stuff out for you. Make sure to subscribe to us on any podcatcher and on YouTube. We hope everybody has a great night and a pleasant week ahead. We will see you next week. Have a great one, everybody. But we're here for the numbers as well. Statistical, so unpredictable, here on SNL Stats.